chapter 9, John chapter 9, and as you're turning there, Tim, if you could play that video for me. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth we know not, or who hath opened his eyes we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, He is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind... Now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, Herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshipper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words, and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Heavenly Father, as we look to your word, God, we pray that the, the seed of your word would find fertile soil upon our hearts. And Lord, that we would see, just as this man who was blind now sees, Lord, I pray, God, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see you for who you truly are. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, in John chapter, we're in John chapter 9, and we're going through uh, 18 uh, through 41. And we saw last week, you know, at the beginning part of this, of this account, that this man had received his sight from Jesus. Jesus went down, he, he took some, uh, uh, some, uh, some dirt and some uh, spittle, rubbed it together, put it on the man's eyes, told him to go to the pool of uh, Siloam, which uh, is, translates scent, 
And he went, did it, received his sight. And the thing is, is that he came back to report this miracle to the Pharisees, to the Jews at this time, and they still didn't want to believe him. They told him, this is what happened. And they said, well, it's not right. You know, that's the, that couldn't have happened. What happened? And they asked him several times, and we're going to see this again this morning, that they're going to ask him again. They're even going to call his parents in and say, okay, now you tell us. Was he really born blind? Is he lying? Basically, I mean, all these things. But we see from last week that, that Jesus, what he will do, because what he will do is he will take a miracle or a healing for a person that they would believe on him. I think so many times that, that people, uh, that, we, uh, that, we, that we want to see all these miraculous miracles and signs and wonders, but the thing is, is that what we see Jesus do and the apostles do is that when a healing happens or a miracle happens, it's so that others would believe. It's not for our own glory of saying, look at my ministry, look at how wonderful I am. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 29. He says, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him who he, uh, whom he has, uh, has sent. What is he saying? The work of him is that we would believe on him. That's the work that we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be going around and, and laying hands on everybody and, and, and you know, leaving their physical bodies in the same wrecked you know, uh, way that it is, you know, like we'll go over there and be like we'll heal their body, but then walk away and their soul is just torn up. The reason why you ever see healings and miracles ever happen in the Bible is that is that others would believe, or that person that is healed would believe. The works of God, like I said, is in the case of the non-believer, that a healing would will sometimes take place so that that person or the people that are around them would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 4, verse 48, because this is a generation that I believe keeps on looking after signs, and they want signs, they want to see all these miracles, they keep on chasing after everything. But what does Jesus say in John chapter 4, verse 48, that says, Then said Jesus unto them, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye would not believe. He's saying, except for you see this, you're not going to believe in faith. You're not going to believe in God's word. I have to, he's like, in order for you to believe, I'm going to have to do signs and wonders, healings and miracles and everything else just for you to even believe on me. And that faith right there is a very shallow faith. He also says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall, be, uh, shall in no sign be given unto them, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. He calls it a wicked and adulterous per, uh, generation that seeks only after sign and, uh, signs, and that's what we have in this generation. We have a whole generation going, I want to go to this conference and go to that conference and go to all these different... I mean, this is my introduction. I haven't even got to the other part of the, the whole thing yet. But they go to conferences looking, oh, I want to get healed, I want to get healed. And the whole thing is, is it about Jesus or is it about you? Is it about Jesus or is it about you or your ministry? Saying, I want to be so much... Look at me, I'm so, God's working so amazingly in me because he likes me and he doesn't like you. I mean, is that the reason why we're doing the, the things that we do? I think oftentimes many Pentecostals, many of those that believe in, uh, in the continuation of the gifts and the signs and the wonders, what they do is that they believe that they need the gift of healing or miracles in order for somebody to receive salvation from the Lord. But let me pose this question to you. In my introduction, 
Do you think maybe that's the reason why the Lord hasn't used you to heal someone or perform a miracle? Because you know what? Here's the thing. Most people don't need a miracle or a healing to, in order to get saved. They need you to tell them about Jesus. Most people don't need that. Yes, God can and work in your life in that way, but the greatest miracle that can ever happen in a person's life is that they receive salvation from the Lord. And that's what we're called to do. That's the work that we're called to do. So don't seek after a sign. Now, what does the Bible say? It also says, in, you know, in 1 Corinthians, it says, you know, to seek after those gifts. Okay? But we're not supposed to do it for our own glory, for our own ministry. Because God can and he, he can and he will use you in those areas when you say it's not about me, it's about him. I want to see people saved. Because that is the whole purpose that we are here. I probably could just end it right there, right? But let's look at uh, verse uh, 18 of John chapter 9. John chapter, uh, John chapter 9, verse 18, the Bible says, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been, born, uh, that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had, re that had received his sight. They didn't believe on him. They didn't want to believe on him. They're trying to get everybody in you know, uh, that he knows in order to discredit this testimony, this miracle that has happened in his life. They don't want to believe, but let's you know, look at that. You know, let's look at the conversation you'll hear, hear uh, in a moment. We know that in John chapter 8, or sorry, John chapter 9, verse 8, that what does it say? Because they asked them before, they said, uh, it says, the neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him, uh, had seen him that said he was blind, said, Is this not he that sat and begged? There were people that knew and realized what they were worrying about is the fact that this testimony can get greater and greater and greater and that Jesus' fame can get greater and greater and greater. That word could spread even further and further, and they didn't want that. Do you know why? Because of the fact that they were worried about their offerings. They were worried about their reputations. They wanted all these things. And we're going to see this later on in the fact that they had purposed that no matter what Jesus did, they said, you're, you're going to deny it. Even if, you, even if we can see that it's you know, the Messiah, even if we can see that he is the one that we have been waiting for, deny it. Let's look at this conversation, as I said, with the man's parents. 19 through 23 says this, And they asked him, or asked them, saying, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is, your, uh, this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we know, uh, we know not. And, or who, uh, who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spanked his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already had agreed, agreed already that if any man did confess that he was the Christ, he shall be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he is of age, ask him. When we look at this whole thing, the whole conclusion of the matter, they're basically saying, tiptoeing around the entire situation. They're saying, yes, he was born blind. We know that he was born blind, but how it happened and who did it, we don't know. Ask him. He's, I mean, it's like the ultimate like, push-off on somebody else. Like, I mean, we know that he's like this and we whatever it was like, but you know what? He's of age. Let him 
Because, why does it say? Because they were afraid, they were afraid that they were going to kick him out of church. You say, well, it's a synagogue, but I'm just, you know, modernizing a little bit there. They're afraid they're going to get kicked out of church. Basically, if, if any person confessed that he was Christ or they, they acknowledged that he was the Messiah, they had already prejudged the entire thing and were determined to put down whatever it was and to not be convinced by any means. They didn't care. They just said, we've seen this guy do all these things. We don't care. And if you confess him, you're, you're kicked out. If you think that he's the Messiah, if you think that he's the Christ, get out. And that's what they told them. And that's the thing. I mean, how many of us, if we were to go to, like, say, you know, like, go visit a church somewhere, and we all of a sudden heard the pastor up there preaching some, like, amazing heresies, would actually get up and say, that's wrong. And then he says, get out. Would we have the guts to actually confront that? If somebody was saying something that was wrong, that was a flat-out heresy, I'm not saying that, you know, pastors all of a sudden, you know, like, have everything 100% true. I'm getting it from God's word. But here's the thing. If you flat out know, like somebody comes out, you know, is preaching from the pulpit, and they say, you know, Jesus actually isn't the Messiah. He isn't the Son of God. Would you have the guts to actually stand up, as we're going to see here in a few moments, like this guy did, and actually say, um, yeah, he is. Verses 24 through 27 says this. The Bible says, then again, Call they the man that was blind and say unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. They're calling Jesus a sinner. I mean, it's like, if for the, uh, you know, nowadays you call somebody a sinner and they're like, Woo, I'm a sinner, woo, and they love it. But the thing is that they don't want to admit because they know that if they admit that he is sinless, that he is the Son of God, that everything has to change, they have to change, people around them have to change, and they know that if they don't want to change, then what are the people going to do? They're not going to listen to him anymore. Verse 25 says, He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. It's an amazing thing that, you know, there's a song written about that too. It's amazing how sometimes, you, you know, you hear songs that are written about Scripture. Then said they to him again, What did he uh, to thee, how open uh, he thine eyes? He answered, he answered them, and uh, he answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Uh, did not hear. Wherefore, uh, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? This man starts to. The funny thing is, is that he's preaching to them, and mind you, he's not saved yet. This man is not saved yet. He has not believed on Jesus yet, and he begins to start preaching. To the Pharisees and the Jews. And we're going to see that, you know, in a moment here that the Jews don't really appreciate it that much. But he's not even saved at this point. And he's, he hasn't believed or anything else, but yet he begins to start preaching to them. Think about that. Have you ever met someone that, you know, like you're standing alongside of them, and this one person begins to question, like, you know, whether or not you're saved or anything else, but the person that's not even saved all of a sudden will come to your, uh, your defense about, have you not seen how they were? I've had this happen a few times. I just kind of sat back, and I'm going, this person obviously knows enough about Jesus. I'll let them preach to them. 
I don't even have to tell them about anything. But they'll just go ahead and they'll start telling them. And that's, what, and that's what's happening here. Is that this unsaved person is preaching you know, to the Jews and the Pharisees at this time. 28 and 29 says this. says, Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We're seeing this throughout the whole thing. Is that their faith is in a man. The Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of them. Their faith is in a man. I shouldn't say all of them because we have Nicodemus and a few others that are not. They get, uh, we know later on that they are not. We know that God uh, spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not uh, from where he is, from where he comes from. And so their rebuttal is the fact that uh, it says that they reviled him. That they reviled him. And that word, you know, just, I mean, simply means... You know, to, to speak abusively, vilify, berate, disparage. They're mad. They're frustrated. They're like, how dare you tell us who this man is? How dare you flat out? Don't you know who we are? And you're telling us, you know, who this man is? We already know that he's a sinner. And he's like, um, and he just begins and he just keeps on telling them. And they vilify him. And they, this, they begin to berate him and, and uh, speak abusively towards him. That's their rebuttal. They're like, how dare you do this? How dare you? Verse, uh, verses 30 uh, through 33 says this. Then the man answered and said unto him, Why herein is a, mar- a marvelous thing that you know not from where, uh, from where he comes? And yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. So what does he flat out tell him? He says, you call him a sinner, but you know what? God doesn't hear a sinner. And so... We know that he, I, he's like, I know that he's of God. Because God doesn't, God doesn't hear sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and does his will, him he hears. Since the world began, it, it was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. So no one throughout scripture has ever seen, the, somebody that was born blind has ever been able to see again. And Jesus does it. If this man were not of God... How could, or he could do nothing. And he preaches, and he preaches, and he preaches as he goes on. He's pointing out their mistakes right to them. And if you don't have a teachable spirit, what's going to end up happening? You're going to get angry, you're going to get mad, you're not going to be happy with them. That's what this man is doing. He says, you're calling him a sinner, but we, we know that the Bible says that he doesn't hear sinners so obviously this man is of God, that he is of the Lord. Has no idea yet at this point who Jesus is, and he's preaching to him, not saved. I mean, think about that. We have a hard time sharing the gospel with people, and we're supposed to be believers in the Lord, and this person's not even saved, and they're sharing Jesus with, uh, with these people that could kick him out of church. Verse 34 says this. They answered... And said unto him, You are altogether born in sins. And do you, uh, do you now teach us? And they cast him out. They kick him out of church. They excommunicated him. He gets what his parents were afraid of getting. Getting thrown out. We see that in verse 22 where it says, These words make his parents because they, were, they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, 
he should be put out of the synagogue. He gets what they thought that they were going to get. So that's why they skirt around it. The guy just takes it head on. And the thing is, is that it cost him. Are we willing to speak truth even if it costs us? Even if it costs us. There's a saying that says, uh, even, if I, even if I have to stand alone, I'm still going to stand. Are you going to take a stand for the Lord even if you're all by yourself? Because you know what God's word says. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he had said unto him, Do you believe on the Son of God? Why would Jesus ask this question if he was already saved? Why would he ask this question if he's already saved? He says, do you believe on the Son of God? Do you believe? Like I said, throughout so far, and you're probably tired of hearing it, this man hasn't believed on Jesus Christ for salvation. He wasn't saved. And, we, and like I said before, we say that we're saved and we have a hard time telling people about Jesus. We use excuses like, I don't want to offend them, I don't want to hurt their feelings, I don't want to do this. And I already said, if you share the gospel, I'm sorry, it's going to offend. Hurt their feelings. Because you know what? That's what the Bible is going to let you do. When we share the gospel with people, it's going to hurt their feelings. But that doesn't change what the fact that God's word says. I would rather hurt somebody's feelings and they get saved out of it, or even the fact of me hurting their feelings because I'm sharing the gospel, but at least they know the truth and they're rejecting it. Then somebody going, why didn't you tell me? Was I not worth it? Did I not deserve to hear about Jesus the same way you did? Because every person, every saved person in this room this morning, somebody told you. Whether it was your mom and dad growing up, or your grandparents, or whoever, or a friend, but somebody told you about Jesus. And we have that same priority. We have that same business that we're supposed to be doing. As I quoted last week from John Wesley, we have one business in this world, and that is to see souls saved. We are to tell others. And here's the other thing. And I'm going to be try to be as nice as possible when I say this. Um, God doesn't care about your feelings that all of a sudden you get sweaty and everything else and that you might actually get nervous sharing the gospel. He wants you to tell people about him. I mean, think about if you're, uh, if you're married or that person, the special person you had. I, I'm going to share this story because, well, my wife laughed. I was in, I was in utter turmoil, let's just put it this way, it was the day that I proposed to my wife. I remember it was uh, December, uh, December 27th, 2006. Am I correct? <laughs> Just making sure. December 27th, 2006. We were in Chicago. You know, my wife absolutely loves the town of Chicago. She had been there before, loved it. She says, I want to go there during Christmas time. I want to see all the lights. I want to see everything going on. You know, she loves snow. For those of you that don't love snow, don't talk to my wife about how you don't like it because she's just going to tell you how much she loves it. She loves snow. And so we were down there, and, and the whole entire day, I had the ring right here in a box. And I'm just, you know, holding I was like, well, maybe I should take it out, you know, the ring and whatever. And I was like, no, I'll probably have a hole in my jacket, won't be able to find the ring. I overthink things a lot of times, especially. So, And so I had it here the whole entire day, big jacket, you know, and everything else. The entire time, because, you know, the entire time I would not really get close to her because I'm afraid that she's somehow going to like just 
you know, you know, smack me or give me a hug or something like that, and she's in a feeling. She's like, oh, what is that in your pocket? And then I'm going to have to go and do it. So the whole entire day, she's like, what is wrong with you? She's like, are you okay? You know, is there something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Did I do this? Did I do that? The whole entire day, because we, I mean, we spent the whole entire day in Chicago. We went out and got like Giordano's Pizza. I had a friend there that was, uh, that she knew about it. Uh, her sister was there. Her sister did not know about it because I knew that she would tell. And so, Nicole, if you're watching, yeah, you would have told. And uh, she still argues today that she would have uh, she she would have kept a secret. I said you may have like not said the words, but your face would have been telling everything. And so we went through the whole entire meal. She's looking at me like, okay, he didn't eat that much food. There has to be something wrong. There's all these things. Well, time came. I just went up to her and said, hey, let's go. You've never ridden on a horse-drawn carriage, especially in Chicago, at this time. It's a one-time thing, you know, let's, let's go and do it. Well, no, she starts, you know, she begins to uh, give me a rebuttal about it, of going, no, it's too much money, it's okay, we don't have to do it. I said, no, no, no let's go ahead and do it. She's, you know, she says, okay, let's go. It was a really hard rebuttal. I had to convince her, you know, uh, for that two seconds. I'll tell you this, it is a hard thing to get down on one knee in the first place. It is a hard thing to do it on a horse-drawn carriage. Especially with the fact that you could possibly fall off the back, of, you know, you know, off the side of it because you're trying to like kneel down and you got to go sideways and everything else. I had so much inner tor- uh, turmoil that day. Got down on one knee, did the whole thing, said, "Will you marry me?" And she doesn't say a word. She stopped. She was like, "I was like, are you are you breathing?" Because she didn't like breathe, and then. I said, is that a yes, or is that a no, or I'll think about it? And she said, oh, no, yes, yes, yes. I'll tell you right now, any guy that has ever got down on one knee, I thought the hardest thing was going to be, uh, be to do was to ask her dad. No, I got down on one knee, and I'm sitting there in those, like, seconds that it is, that it seems like, you know, five million years. That's what it seems like. You're sitting down there, you're waiting on that answer, and then all of a sudden she gets like choked up about it and doesn't answer you, and it, 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 it takes even longer. And so she says yes, which is a great thing, and then her sister got mad at me afterwards. She said, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you do this whole thing? And she says, you owe me a trip. No, I don't. Um, I don't owe you a trip. That's your husband's job now. But that's the whole thing is, is that in this entire situation that he's going through, because you think about it, his parents are thinking, I'm going to get cast out. They have all this turmoil, all this stuff going on, and they're like, I'm going to pass it off. You go ask him. He probably, he may have had that same kind of turmoil going on, but he said, you know what? I'm going to tell him anyways. I'm going to tell him the truth. I'm going to tell him what, what he did. I don't care what you say. I know what God's word has said, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what he did. And he doesn't even know Jesus. Let's look, at verse, let's look at this conversation. Verse uh, 36. It says, He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? So we know, obviously, he doesn't, have a, he doesn't even know who's standing right in front of him. And Jesus said unto him, You have both seen him, and it is he that talks with you. For someone that says that Jesus never proclaimed that he is the Son of God, 
I'm telling you right there, if that is not a, a clear-cut verse, because he's saying, have you ever believed on the Son of God? He says, I don't know who it is. He says, I, I don't know who it is. And he says, it is the one that you, uh, that you have seen and that you are talking with. What more clear of an answer could you have given? Besides him going, yes, I am the Son of God, that is the, you know, the, one of the you know, clear-cut scriptures that says, that he says, I am the Son of God. I, I claim to be the Messiah. I claim to be the chosen one. I claim to be the Christ. Verse 38, and says, And he said, Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. How simple is that? How simple is that? And we make it way more difficult than what it has to be. We make it so much more difficult. We're like, all right, you stand over here in this way. Make sure you fold your hands. Make sure you do this. Make sure you stand a certain way. I got saved in this spot, so it's a good spot to get saved in. So come down here to the altar right here and get saved. Oh, no, wait until Sunday morning. Because then the pastor can lead you to the Lord instead of in Dollar General. So Because there's a good spot right here at the church. No. Where does Jesus do it? He just, he just flat out says, do you believe? He says, I believe, and he worships him. It is so simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. And yet we make it so much more difficult than what it is. Share the gospel and bring him on home. As I said last week, and I've said it before, why would you, and like I said, if you want you know, me to have your greater reward in heaven because I'm able to lead your friend to Christ, go ahead. But why would you want to give up that, that moment of joy? And it's not just a moment. It goes on for a while. That moment of joy of leading somebody to the Lord. Why would you want to give that up so the pastor can have it? Lead him home. You say, oh, I don't know how to do it. Well, somebody led you to the Lord, so I'm hoping that you took notes, or you remembered it at least. It's not that hard. And we make it a lot more difficult than what it has to be. It is simple. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to get, you speak in tongues. You don't have to do, you don't have to have church membership. Yes, should you, you know, look at those different things? And say, I want, to be a, you know, I want to be a part of a local body? Sure. Should you get baptized? Yes, because God's word you know, commands it. You know, should you seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes. But that's not required for salvation. That's not. There are churches that, uh, you know, that teach that heresy, and it's nowhere in Scripture. You cannot give the... If you say, well, you know what, I give this much money to the church, well, that's a whole other story. Because, you know what, it has nothing to do about the amount of money you give. It has a matter of your heart. And where you're at with the Lord. I saw this quote on Facebook the other day, and I believe it's true. It says, we are saved by grace through faith without the deeds of the law. The reason why I like the part where it says without the deeds of the law, because then you have people going, well, I paid this much, or I did this, or I did that. No, it is by faith alone in Jesus Christ that you do it. It is that. By him simply stating, I believe, this is an, out, uh, an outflowing expression of gratitude and faith. It is a person, for one thing, you know, is blind, but now he sees, goes through this entire situation with, with the Jews and with the Pharisees in the synagogue, gets kicked out because of it, because uh, he's believing on a person that he has no idea who, who it even is. And then once it's revealed to him, he says, I believe, and he begins to worship him. 
Think back to maybe when you were first saved. Didn't worship seem so much easier because you knew what he did for you? Shouldn't our hearts be even more overflowing with gratitude because of what he's done? Because I don't know about you, but I was in a mess. My wife says I'm still in a, you know, I'm still a mess. But the thing is, he's taking you. I thought maybe she was going to preach. I got the notes. She can do it right ahead. How many of you are glad that there are you know, children in, you know, in church? I mean, I've been at places where a, a, a pastor has said, you know, you need to quiet that child down. That's the next generation coming up. Come on, girl. Give me a witness. She's like, what? Yeah, go ahead. It's okay. Yep. Oh, no, she's like, you gave me a, you gave me a clearance now. She's like, I'm going to go up there and dance and shout now. But it is a a simple expression of gratitude and faith. And the thing is that we more that we we go on with the Lord. It should be more of that gratitude and that faith that we're going. Thank you, God. You know that you kept me from this. That you saved me from this. That Lord. I mean, as He reveals more and more to you, because as as we read, you know, this morning in Psalm 103, that He has brought us out of, of of so much. That He's done so much in our life. Why would we not want to worship him? And it's an awesome thing to see that a person that who is newly saved, that makes that profession of faith in Jesus Christ, that that's the first thing that he does. He says, I believe, and he worships him. There was no, hey, go to a, you know, go to a new members class, or this is how you got to do it. This is how you, this is how. no, he just instantly says, I'm going to worship him. And the thing is, is that this is a natural and right response to express thanks and praise to God, that all blessings that we realize that pour out from him, from Jesus, because of what he's done. And we're saying, thank you, Lord. That's what we do when we worship him, is that we're saying, thank you, God. So like this morning, we were praying in the back, and I, I've learned that this is something I need to pray for, that when we come to church, do we come here to say, God, you better do something in my life. You better speak to me or else I'm not coming back. Or do you say, God, I just want to bless your name because you're worthy. Because he does amazing things. What is he saying? He says that this is true when the mind has been enlightened and the spiritual eyes have been opened. And that we are permitted to see the glories of the heavenly world. That, we, that it is right to pay homage and worship Jesus. And you notice that in this portion of Scripture and throughout the Bible, Jesus never forbids people worshiping him. He doesn't stop somebody and say that's not right. For those that say that, oh, he was just a prophet or he was this or this, a prophet would never receive worship because why? Because they're just a prophet. They're just a man or a woman. That is all they are. And they say, you know what? Don't worship me. Praise him. And this is why we see the Jews and the Pharisees at this time trying to get him to go, you give God glory. He's like, I am giving God glory because of what he's done. What happens, I mean, look at this. You know, for ones that even wrote scripture, like the Apostle John. What did the Apostle John, the Apostle John made the mistake that he began to worship an angel. And what does the angel in the book of Revelation do or say to him, 
when he bows down, when he bowed, uh, bows down and worships. And just remember, I mean, obviously this is the Gospel of John. We have the book of Revelation that was written by John. We have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John has written Scripture when he does this. Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9 says, it said, And John saw these things. John saw some pretty amazing things. This is at the end of Revelation. And heard them. And when he had heard and seen, he fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed, uh, says, which showed me these things. Then, said, uh, he, uh, then he said unto me, Do you not see? For I am, uh, I am your fellow servant, your, your, fellow, yeah, your fellow servant of thy brethren the prophets, of, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. What is he saying? Don't worship me. Worship God. That is what the angels, he's like, I'm no different than you. I'm a servant of the Lord just like you are. And he's saying, you know what? Don't worship me. He's forbidding him to do it. He says, don't worship me. Worship God. Just the same way that these, these, these false teachers were trying to say, well, you better give glory to God. He's like, I am giving glory to God. And the thing is, is that when he believes on Jesus, what does he do? He bowed down and worshiped him, and Jesus never forbids it because he is doing what is right. Verses 39 through 41 says this, And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not may see, and they that which see might be, uh, be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him, now think about that, that were with him. There are Pharisees, you know, they're there, but they're actually aligning themselves with Jesus. They're trusting in, uh, you know, they're, they're believing that he is, he is uh, the Messiah. That were with him, heard these words and said unto him, are we blind also? So Jesus is going to reply back to his disciples, these Pharisees. He says, Jesus said unto them, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore, or, yeah, therefore your sin remaineth. What is he telling him? He's basically, he's, he's flat out, you know, telling them that, for one thing, that he's going to come and judge. He says, I, have, I am coming to manifest and execute a just judgment of God. This is from Adam Clark. He says, for, uh, for one thing, it's this. He said, he's going he's to give sight to the blind and light to the Gentiles, which is every other believer that is not Jewish, who sit in darkness. And number two, he says, by removing the true light from those pretending to make proper use of it, only abuse, uh, only abuse the mercy of God. In a word, salvation shall be taken away from the Jews because they reject it. And the kingdom of God shall be given to the Gentiles. The Jewish people, the kingdom of Israel, at, all throughout the Old Testament and at this point, had always, the Bible says they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. But what did the what did the Jewish people do? They're like, I'm God, we're God's chosen people. We're special. You should just you should just love us just because we're God's chosen people and never share the gospel. That's the reason why Jesus had to come. Because the people that were supposed to be sharing the gospel weren't. They weren't. They were not telling anybody else about about the Messiah, about the one. They're saying, "Hey, we serve the one and true God. You need to worship him." And they don't do it. They don't tell anybody. They keep it to themselves and saying, and everybody's looking at them going, wow, you know, it seems like they're different, and it seems like their God is answering them, because you read that throughout Scripture, it says, 
you know, that people know that God has answered them. And yet they don't tell anybody. And that's the reason why he goes on later on and says, if you had been blind, they are, if, if, if people did not even know who Jesus was, they had the, they're ignorant. They didn't know who he was. What does he say? What does he say? He says, he says, if you were blind, you should have no sin. No sin. He's saying that they're ignorant. They have no idea of what's going on. Basically, this would be a person you know, that's not really all there mentally. They're saying if you're ignorant, then you know what? You wouldn't have any sin. He says, but now you say we see, therefore your, uh, your sin remains. Why? Because they know the truth, and they refuse to believe it. They know the truth. They have the truth. They've heard the truth. They, they've read the Old Testament. They know it. And, they, and by the way, they didn't call it the Old Testament back then because it was just the Bible that they had. But they know the Old Testament. They know the Torah. They know that what the Bible says about the Messiah. They know. And he's saying, yet you know, you have knowledge, you know these things, and yet you're blind. Why? And your sin still remains. You're saying that you're seeing, but you're not because you have no knowledge. Because if you did, you would have no sin. And the thing is, is that how many times have you seen kids grow up in church, know the, you know, know the truth, have the knowledge of the truth, and now are running around like they have never been in church before? They've never, that they've never even had a salvation experience. They had gone around telling everybody about Jesus. They were telling them before, and all of a sudden now they just don't tell them at all. I mean, how many times have I... I can't even tell you the amount of times that I've been in stores and people find out that I'm the pastor at First Assembly of God. And one of the things that they will say is, I used to go there. Next time somebody asks me that question, I'm going to say, then why aren't you there still? Because I want to know. Did somebody kick you out because you spoke the truth? Or you just want to go live your own life now? Because there's a lot of people that know about us. And the sad thing and the sad reality is, is that at this point, more times than not, the way that I have to, uh, have to tell about our location is not that I'm a pastor at First Assembly of God. But they say, and where is that at? These are people that grew up in this church. They say, um, we're right behind Ray's Produce. That's how they know. They know by a, a building that hasn't been in business for how many years? They know where that is, but they don't know where First Assembly of God is? That's a problem. That's a huge problem. We need to start telling people about Jesus so they'll say, oh, yeah, you're that one church. Yeah, there's that one building that needs to get out of the way because that one right there, you know, is, is blocking the view of the church. I'm not trying to, like, you know, dismantle raised produce. I'm just saying, like, there should be a thought, and, you know, there should be a thought in their minds of going, I know exactly where that is because that's exactly where I met the Lord. And that's, the, you know, and I know God's people are there. But yet, I have to tell them that they're behind raised produce in order for them to know exactly where our church is. I mean, I'll still keep on telling people about Jesus, you know, until the Lord calls me home, whether, you know, it's through rapture or through death, I'm going to tell people about the Lord. Are you going to join me in that? That was weak. Are you going to tell people, are you going to join in me, you know, join with me to go tell people about Jesus? 
and it has nothing to do with First Assembly of God and getting more and more popular. It has everything to do to you know, make sure that Jesus is being lifted up and glorified. Because people should realize where God's people are meeting, where God's people are, are worshiping. They should just know. It shouldn't be the fact of going, you know what, um, can you tell me where that is? Oh, yeah, it's behind Ray's Produce. I even had somebody at one time you know, that grew up in this town tell me, where's Ray's Produce? I said, you don't see the, you know, the, the bright red building over there with the yellow letters? You don't know where that's at? No. You know where the barbershop is? Oh, yes. You just go down about a block, and that's where we're at. Oh, that red building, and then they remember where it's at. But we need to be like this man. Like I said, this man, all the way up until the end of, the, of this account, has no idea who Jesus is, and yet he's preaching to other religious leaders, people that know the Bible. And he's telling them about this man that, you know, that he was born blind. He's like, I'm blind. I was born blind, but now I see. This man did this. And he's preaching the gospel to these people, and he's not even saved yet. And then his simple response, when Jesus says, do you believe on the Son of God? And he said, I don't know who it is. And Jesus said, it is who you have seen, and it is who you are talking with right now. And the man simply says, I believe and worships him. It has me to believe that the man instantly goes down on his knees or, you know, right before the Lord and begins to worship him, and the Lord doesn't for, uh, forbid him. So when you realize those things, know this, that when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you worship him, he doesn't turn you away. He doesn't turn you away. When you worship him, when you, and you come before him, that's what he is desiring. That's what he wants. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to have peace. He wants us to have rest. He wants us to abide in him, to remain in him. Why? Because he created you that way. But we will sit there and fight, and we will argue, and everything else with the Lord. We'll do everything possible so we don't have to follow him, so we don't have to submit to the creator. The creation is fighting against its, its maker. You're saying, I don't need to do that. But Jesus just says that if you would believe upon me, you shall be saved. And as soon as we respond and we say, yes, Lord, our response should be to worship him. Amen? If I could have every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, as we, as we search our hearts, that's the reason why we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, is to search our hearts and to know that no one's looking around at, at one another or anything else. But this morning, if you have not believed upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what I mean by that is that obviously that you believe on him, but things in your life have changed, that you're, you're following his word. That's what it means to be a believer, that you actually believe God's word is true and that you do it. If you haven't done that, Today is the day of salvation. Don't sit there and wait. Don't sit there and wait until so-and-so can come into town and lead you in a prayer. I know that you may have, you may, you may sit there and say, well, no, I want them to lead me to the Lord. Are you willing to take that chance? Because just in this past year, I have heard 
I've heard stories upon stories of people that were in their 20s, people in their 30s, or, or kids that have passed away. So many times I, I, I think that people will get this idea that I'm going to have a full life. I'm going to live 70, 80, 90 years. We're not, not, we're not guaranteed that ever. The Lord doesn't make that promise to us. Some people say, well, you know, when I get my life in order, when I get everything right, then I'll come to the Lord. I already told you that, that I was a mess before Jesus came and, and changed me. That's what happens. Jesus takes, your, uh, takes that mess that you are, and he will change you. He will transform you. Don't sit there and say, I'm going to wait until I get my life right. You're never going to do it. Not without the Lord's help, you're not. So this morning, you say, you know what? I, I used to love Jesus, and I walked away from him, or I've never given my life to Jesus. But this morning, I know that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that I make that commitment. If that's you, I just ask that you would raise your hand in this place. And secondly, for those in this, in this room, I cannot stress this enough, that are saved, that are following the Lord, but yet they're not doing the works of God, which is telling others about Jesus, that they can believe on him, that they can come to know him. If you're not, as, as Chastity plays silently in, uh, in the background here, over the next few moments between you and the Lord, I would ask that you would reconcile that and say, Lord, you know what? I'm sorry. I, you know, I repent for not, for not sharing you with other people, for not telling others about you, but that changes today. And I am going to share my faith. I am going to go out. And the thing is that you may have a day where you don't share your faith, but if your purpose and your intent is, as soon as your eyes open up in the morning, you're saying, who can I tell about Jesus? And you have that purpose of saying, I'm going to share Jesus no matter how inconvenient it may seem. Time with them is more important than making that a next appointment. Because you don't know if you're going to see them again. So for the next moment, purpose it in your heart. Psalm says, fix it in your heart. That you're going to do that. So the next few moments, search your hearts.
crashes over me, crashes over me, for you are for us, you are not against us, champion of heaven, you made a way for all to Father, I pray right now that with the same urgency that someone had to share the gospel with us, that that same urgency would be in us to share the gospel with somebody else. That we would think back to those days where we were spiritually blind and somebody came up and shared the gospel, shared you with us, and our eyes were open. That we could say that I, I was blind, but now I see because somebody shared Jesus with me. That as long as we have breath in our bodies, that we share the gospel with somebody else because that is what is most important. It doesn't, we don't need to be seeking after signs. We don't need to be seeking after wonders or healings or miracles or anything else. But what we need to be doing is to seek out who we can share you with. So we can share that gospel with them. So we share you with them, the good news. That we can go up to them and say, did you know that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? But that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That you deserve hell, but God didn't, hell is not designed for you. God wants you to be saved. That he desires and then we tell them that what your word says, that if we would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And so, Lord, I pray that every single person in this place would have that desire to share the gospel. That when we go from this place today, that we not sit there and wonder about where we're going to go eat lunch or who we're going to go eat it with, or who that, where we're going to go eat, but we say, where can we go that we'd be able to share the gospel with somebody? And that we not just sit there saying that they're going to see by my actions that I love you, but that we'd actually open our mouth and begin to tell, to tell them about you. Lord, I thank you for every single person that is here this morning. God, I thank you that, the, that you have brought them here safely this morning. And Lord, I ask that you would take them uh, home safely, that you take them out wherever they're going to go eat safely. But most importantly, that when they arrive there, that they would have that purpose of sharing the gospel with somebody there. Because Lord, we don't honestly know how many days you've given us. Because we know that your word says to teach us to number our days that we make the most of every opportunity. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 God bless you. Uh, we're going to, for those that are in the, all the way back and on this side, you can gather your, your things and be dismissed.
I'm waiting for a Sunday where everybody's on, like, all the way on this side because they're like, I want to be done first. I want to get out first. As they're making their way out, I'd ask everybody in these two rows over here, uh, begin to gather your stuff so that way you can head on out as well. God bless you. We'll see you on Wednesday night uh, for that. And go uh, share the gospel with someone. Amen? Amen.